Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Dave Dufour is in the building. I'm pointing the wrong way, but Dave Dufour is in the building. I'm back wearing a hat, obviously to rep the hometown. You got to rep Pittsburgh, even though I live in Melbourne, in a beautiful country in Australia. You got to rep Pittsburgh, baby. You got to rep the hometown. But the reason I'm wearing a hat, unfortunately, and I know people who are listening to this on the podcast feed won't be able to see it. My head, I went golfing and I am slowly but surely joining you in what will be the bald brethren, Dave. You made a rookie and move. Didn't I you? did not. Did not put sunscreen on my scalp. So right now my scalp is peeling and it is a bit gross. <clears throat> so you guys get hat Sam probably for one more episode. Dave, yeah, you know, what's going I, on? I, I started shaving my head when I was pretty young. I think I was like, I mean, I used to do a buzz cut as a kid. First yeah. time I ever used like a razor, I think it was like 12 or 13. And I spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid. I went on a canoeing trip down the basically the entirety of the James river in Virginia. And uh-huh. one day forgot to wear sunscreen. And I got, I mean, I wouldn't surprise me if I had just gotten sun cancer or skin cancer that day. Oh, it was God. that bad of a sunburn. It was awful. Um, I've never made that mistake again. You got to keep that sunscreen on you, man. Yeah. Especially I down know. there. Like I'm, I'm typically so good about it. Literally, I put so much sunscreen on my face that day that like my forehead broke out in like, you know, pimples and shit like that because my pores were so clogged that yeah. I just didn't I had never had to do the top of the for the top of the head before because my hair thinning is getting it's getting home. aggressively bad. I, yeah, I know. Get a, get a Harry's Razor sponsorship for the pod. Get uh, him to hook you up and just come on home. Grow the beard yeah, out. Yeah, we're closing. Know? Balance it out. We're closing in on that point, Dave. It's a bit of a it's a bit of struggle in the times here over in Australia, but it's not a struggle for the teams we're going to talk about today. We're going to dive into the NBA contender picture for the 2023 title. I think that we're going to lay it out as kind of a tiers kind of thing. We're going to talk about like. I think there's one team, maybe two, that you can say is a top-tier contender. And then there are a bunch of others that I think are right in that mix. And then there are a few others that I think have an outside shot if things really break right to be able to get into that NBA title picture. So that's kind of the way we're going to lay this out. And I'm not allowed to say who gave me this idea because his account is protected, but it was a tweet by a mutual friend that said uh, something along the lines of, there are currently two teams that can win the NBA title and it's someone really smart and it's someone that I really enjoy. He has a protected account, so I don't want to say who it is, but I think that it is an important conversation to have one third of the way through the season. But before we dive in, I just want to say, Dave, like everything going well here for you. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, um, we're almost to Christmas, so the games are about to start mattering, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how this works every year. uh, I think the basketball this year has been interesting uh, from a parody perspective, so that's been fun. We just got – we just got the game of the year from for my money last night, Portland and Denver. That shit was fun. I had a really good time. So I, I don't know, man. Ooh, so you're saying you're saying I should catch up on this. Oh, yes. I, I did not watch, watch the, that game last so night. So pick it up around the three minute mark, right after the use it or lose it timeout. Two fifty nine. Okay. I believe Denver inbounds the ball. And then it's one of the most fun three minute stretches of basketball that we've had all season. It was great. And it was big shot after big shot. It was stars doing their thing. Dame Lillard. Like, we got Dame time, and then we also got Murray time. So, yeah, you oh. got to yeah, you gotta check it out. I will say I did see the Jamal Murray, like, step back going to his left, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. This guy is just unbelievable. He might be back at this point. Um, there was a step back we- down the stretch, a little step back fadeaway on the baseline, and that I said the exact yeah. same thing. I was like, oh, he's feeling better. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Nuggets within this conversation because I think they're in a really, really interesting place. But I think we have to start, if we're going to break down who the number one contender is in the NBA, I think it's just abundantly clear who the best team is right now. It is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, I think, are just very clearly the top team. If the playoffs happened right now, I think they would be pretty damn close to an even odds title contender. Uh, Like, I I think that it would be like plus 110, plus 115. You can't do it like that going forward because you never know with injuries. You never know with trades that could happen. Player movement will occur around the trade deadline. But I genuinely think that if the Boston Celtics, if the playoffs were held today, the Boston Celtics would would be the clear, unequivocal favorite to win the NBA title. I agree with that. Sounds right. Uh, the offense that they're putting up right now is pretty ridiculous. You have to score 130 points if, if you're going to beat the Boston Celtics. And I just don't know that any other team could do that four times. Yeah. Um, and, and especially since they're going to be stronger by the time the playoffs actually do start. Rob Williams is apparently rounding into form, hoping he's yeah. going to be healthy by Christmas. That Christmas Day game against the Bucks. That's the Eastern Conference to me. Like that's the preview of the Eastern Conference Finals, and those are the two teams that our mutual friend was talking about. I'm assuming Uh, Milwaukee. I've talked to them, and they were yeah. (laughs) And so they like I'm in complete agreement with you guys that that Conference Finals is going to be our real finals. Now this doesn't this doesn't mean that they're definitely going to beat the Western Conference team because if it's the Warriors and the Warriors are clicking in the way that they do. The Warriors can beat anybody. Um, but those two teams right now, they're playing some of, like, some of the best basketball of anybody, and they're getting healthy. That yep. like They've already been doing what they're doing, and they're getting healthier. I mean, Chris Middleton, while I, I don't think he – he doesn't look fully up to speed, his feel is there immediately. Like He came in, and yep. I think he's had – uh, multiple uh, ga- games with like six assists. You know, they're running the yeah. offense through him. He's finding guys, letting it come to him. What a luxury that the Bucks have that they're able to do that. Let him take his time to get reacclimated. And Boston's going to have the same opportunity with Rob Williams, yeah. especially because of how Al Horford has still looked pretty good and they've, they've rested him pretty well without Rob Williams. I was worried about his workload, but Cornette has 
giving them service serviceful uh, backup minutes and even sliding Tatum up to play some five here and there. I, I yeah, we're all on the same page here. I mean, we're all watching the same stuff. It's nice that we're yeah. all seeing the same stuff too. I totally agree. The Celtics right now, they have the best mix of everything that you look for from a contender. I think they have the defense, which is versatile and is in many ways, something that you can really, really scheme. Uh, They have the ability to go small in play guys like Tatum and Grant Williams at the four or five combo, right? Have Grant deal with the bigger guys, have Jason fly around and help where he's so impactful, right? Defensively. Uh, They have good on-ball defenders. Marcus Smart. I think Jalen Brown's a good on-ball defender. He falls asleep from time to time off the ball, but I think Jalen is certainly a guy that uh, is someone that is very valuable in a playoff setting because he's six foot seven athletic and uh, cares on the ball defensively. Um, they're going to get back Robert Williams. They can go super big. They can go regular big. If you play one of Rob Williams or Al Horford, they can go super big, which is something they did in the playoffs last year by playing Al Horford and Rob Williams together, which is honestly their preferred alignment. They have guys now like Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon who can really, really guard on the perimeter. It, it's just Across the board, the Boston Celtics have so much lineup versatility. They have so many different ways they can beat you. And that's before we get to the offense. Like, this is a top 11 defense right now without one of the 10 best defenders in the NBA and Robert Williams. They're only going to get way better on that end. The offense right now is the number one offense in league history by any metric you look at. They have figured out the spacing. They have figured out everything around Jason Tatum. They have built this entire operation around Jason Tatum using Jalen Brown as like a second side creator and transition dynamic player. They have fostered so much shooting around these guys. Sam Hauser playing a critical role now. Derek White having really improved his shot. Malcolm Brogdon being able to come in and take second side opportunities. Marcus Smart really moving into that point guard role in a way that has been so important for them. I just, I I struggle. I don't think this team is unbeatable, and we'll talk about that maybe as we get into some of the other contenders, but like they have so many different ways to adjust to what other teams are going to present them. And because they force opposing teams into oceans and oceans of space, it is exceptionally difficult to guard them. And that's even before the most important part of this, which is that Jason Tatum would be the first third of the season MVP because that's how well he's playing right now. So this Celtics team is just ridiculously good, I think. Yeah, they, they've got some – and we talked about them on Nerd this week. Like we did a, a kind of a, a whole segment on them where we talked about, you know, are they peaking too early? Because remember last year they started off so rough. And I actually yeah. don't think they do. They, they're, they're actually running an offense this year. And yeah. this is what it looks like when you have good players and a good system. They yeah. were doing it the hard way up until this season. And now we know what the de- – the, the, this is a top five defense when Rob Williams comes back. Like they, I think so too. And they can defend you any way you want. They can drop. They can switch. They can do it all. And you mentioned the versatility that they've got with their guards, especially with Derek White and Brogdon coming off the bench. Man, they can go three guards and still yeah. play Tatum and Brown because of their size. And, yeah, Tatum has been the MVP for the first third of the season, uh, no doubt to me. Um, I actually had him on my on my list of guys who could potentially get defensive player of the year buzz this season, coming into the year. I don't think so at this point. 
Um, yeah. If Rob Williams had been healthy, I think that maybe you we, we we could be talking about Jason Tatum there. But the defense hasn't been as good. So, yeah, they've basically got everything. What I need to see from them is some close games. And that's not their fault. Yeah, But it's not their fault. But I need to see what they do in close games. Because the last few years, man, close games, they they take the air out of the ball. They they stop running offense. It goes to the ISO, taking turns, you know, dribble, 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 maybe make a move. And, and I think one of the big things that come out of this early part of the season is that they're crushing the shit out of everybody, which rules. That's great for them. Um, yeah. Jason Tatum gives the ball up and moves. He's it, man, what is he's such a good screener. Who knew yes. he had this in his game? Yes. And so, yes. you know, I see this stuff. I want to make sure it's these are principles that they're going to stick with when it comes to sticking time. Like when it's time to like, all right, man, we're going to get tight. Are we going to are we going to ruin our flow or are we going to keep doing what we've been successful with? That's what good teams do, man. They stick with what works. They have the system do the work for them, especially when they're tired. So I just need to see them in some close games. And that's, you know, hell, maybe they win a title without ever playing a close game. Yeah, like you mentioned this idea that this team could be like, you know, early in the season they struggled, maybe they're peaking early. I don't think they're peaking early. I think they've just continued to peak since late last season or the middle of last season, right? Like they just keep getting better and better and better. And like, obviously it's not quite linear because, you know, taking Joe Mazzulla, him getting the job over Ime Yudoka because of Ime Yudoka's indiscretions, let's go with. Uh, that has created like a bit of a rift where people had some questions about what the Celtics could be. But all Joe Missoula has done is just implement this offense that is super well-spaced, that is causing so, so many issues and just giving Jason Tatum oceans and oceans of space to go down on the block and to go ahead and take advantage of those mismatches. Or when he gets into the mid-range to be able to hit that little floater uh, in the mid-range where he has really, really improved there. It's just wild. Uh, let me ask you, because I yeah. said this on on the show this week. You get any 2013-14 Spurs vibes from this team? Twenty four. I'll just say 2014 Spurs since that's when they won the title. Yeah. Coming back after losing to Miami, it was kind of heartbreaking. And, I'm, and, you know, Boston just – they got beat by the Warriors. But it was a heartbreaking loss. They came back the next year, and they just looked more locked in. And, and yeah. saying that about yeah. the Spurs is saying something. Feels that same way here. <laughs> And they are actually running Joe Missoula's offense. Yeah. So whatever steps we thought they were going to take back with the coaching change, non-existent. They're actually nope. playing basketball on the offensive end now. So maybe it was an upgrade. I have no idea. Because I, I think coaching is a little bit overrated. But we know they didn't run offense last year, and this year they are. So I, I'll just say he's doing a better job. So I've been really impressed with him as a coach. Seems super solid, even like just has these guys playing together, playing connected and playing for each other, which is a big deal. Yeah, you know, that 2014 Spurs comparison, like totally different teams, right? Like that yeah. is the team that like completely spread the wealth, right? Whereas this team has like Jason Tatum, right. who is like doing an MVP turn. Mm -hmm. That was like, that was what Kawhi's second year maybe. And mm -hmm. Tony Parker like led the team with, I'm looking here, it says like 17 points a game. Mm -hmm. And they had just like a bunch of double digit scores, bunch of guys that were super unselfish. It kind of does feel that way in terms of, the way that they have taken the 
you know, taken the momentum they built the year before and just mm-hmm. run with it and gotten way, way better. I mean, that team won 62 games and 8.1 uh, net rating. I would imagine that the Celtics are right on pace for, you know, 60 wins and they have an 8.8 net rating. So I think that that's a pretty good comparison in terms of where we are. This is the title favorite. I, look, if we're nitpicking and saying like, we'd like to see them play closer games mm-hmm. when they already have like the best shot creator in the league and Jason Tatum right now, other than maybe Luca, like I, I, I'm, I'm not worried. I guess about like, it, nah. it's just hard to find a flaw with it. Right. It's hard to find a flaw in the design of the Boston Celtics especially like before you could say, oh, they didn't have a top five player in the league. You know, Jason Tatum is a top 10 player. And can you really win a title with a top 10 player as opposed to a top five player? That that issue has gone. Jason Tatum has been the best player in the league so far this year. So I don't know. I, I don't see a flaw here. I think they are the clear number one team. But let's go on to their biggest challenger, which we've talked about a bit briefly here already, the Milwaukee Bucks. I would say that like the Celtics for me are like in a tier by themselves in terms of like title favorites. I would say the Bucks are in this next tier and they might be alone in this next tier for me even. Like I, I think that they are the clear number two even in terms of potential to win the title. What have you been so impressed with so far with the Milwaukee Bucks? Well, I mean, I think I, I want to start with Giannis. Because we just don't talk about him anymore because he throws yeah. up 35, 15, and, you know, seven like it's nothing now. Um, but he's been two, a two-way monster this year. Uh, and Brooke Lopez has been spectacular to start the season. Not only is he a defensive player of the year candidate for me, all-NBA first-team defense, he might be an all-star to me. Um, with the way that he has played at both ends, picking up the slack with no Chris yeah. Middleton – um, Brooke Lopez, it, again, it's just these good teams, they have these players that are luxuries for other teams. You know, if, if you can, if you say, I've got Drew Holiday, I've got Chris Middleton, and I have Giannis, and oh, yeah, I also have maybe the best defensive center in the league, that's quite a luxury. So I think Brooke Lopez has been, has been huge for them. Um, I worry about their bench. Because this is a team that's going to use its bench, especially in playoffs. Like, we already know this. Um, and I don't know that they have enough guys. But overall, what I've seen from them without Middleton has been impressive. And then I like how Middleton has come back and just been able to reintegrate as a playmaker for them. Like, that's been huge. Another guy who can handle, another guy who can shoot, another guy who can find other guys. And all of a sudden, I think that they're in the same tier as Boston. I don't put them below Boston. Yeah, so I don't blame you for that, especially given the fact that we've only seen Chris Middleton for three games, right? Right. Uh, Getting Chris Middleton back and him having only played three games this season and this this team being 18 and six is still wildly impressive. Like, that is incredible to me. They have a guy that's, what, a five-time All-Star at this point who is certainly in the prime of his career, who has missed all but, you know, 10% of this season at this point. And you're now at the point where you are still – in the title picture and still have been the clear second best team in the NBA this season. Um, they're currently fifth in net rating plus 5.1, but the big thing has been the defense and, you know, the defense has slipped over the course of like the last, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like three weeks, two weeks. The only thing that it slipped from though is it was on a like historic 
pace for the first 20 games of the season right. where they were like seven points better than anyone else defensively per 100 possessions or whatever ridiculous number it was. It might have been like five or something. But they were so dominant through the first quarter of this season defensively. And I think that as they're kind of reintegrating pieces, as they've gotten into the regular portion of the season where you know you have to kind of work through the middle part of the season a little bit, I feel like they maybe have taken a slight step back, but the thing is that, you know, they're still a top 13 offense, despite the fact that they haven't had their best shot creator out there. So I totally believe in the Bucks. I think that they are the clear number two title favorite right now, in large part because, as you said, we don't talk about Giannis anymore. And Giannis is <laughs> like... He's the best player in the world. Yeah, like I think I'd have to have Jason Tatum as MVP so far, but... Yeah, like, that's a different conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's a different conversation. Yeah, I think like Giannis is just the most consistently dominant player on planet Earth mm-hmm. uh, on both ends of the court. He's unbelievable. Yeah, if you ask me to put money on one possession, that's the guy I want to bet on. Either way, defense or offense, if yeah. it's one possession, that's the guy I want to bet on. So, yeah, I, I um, I think with the Bucks, I don't. These numbers right now are like the indicators are a little less important to me. I don't mind the defensive drop off because they have been there. And this yeah. is the the bias that we kind of develop toward teams that are winners. And so a couple of years ago, before they did it in the playoffs, we didn't believe them. Hey, you win a lot of regular season games, but I need to see it in the playoffs because they would fall apart. And then they adjusted. And now, like, they are a, a team that is going to win you 55 to 65 games or whatever every year. That's Giannis. You know, he's basically Tim Duncan. You are guaranteed 55 to 65 wins with Giannis every year now. Cool. So now it's more about how you get there. And I think that when we see them trying new stuff now that they have Middleton, that's when I'll start to say, ooh, I, okay, I like this. I think they're going to be able to do this against Boston. They won't be able to do this again because that's really all, all it's about. It's only about Boston. They're going to they're gonna crush everybody else. Maybe Cleveland can give them a hard time if they, if they play in the second round of the playoffs. But I think everything that they should be doing is, is working toward how do we handle Boston – not just their their offense, but how do we score against that Boston defense when it's turned all the way up? And so um, I, I just I have them in the first tier because they have Giannis and and all the rest of their guys. But um, the last couple of weeks doesn't bother me. Yeah, and this is a really interesting thing with Milwaukee. So so far this season, the Boston Celtics have two lineups that have played at least 111 minutes together, five man lineups, and they've had it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six other lineups that have played at least 27 minutes together so far. The Milwaukee Bucks have one lineup that's played 139 minutes together. Their second most common lineup so far this season has played 28 minutes together, and that's it. So they just really have been forced because of the injuries, because of guys going in and out of the lineup, to do a lot of different things, try a lot of different things, uh, create makeshift situations for a lot of different things, right? Which I think gives them even more upside as they continue to get healthier and healthier and healthier. Ultimately, what I worry about with this team is they're almost going to have to continue to be that battering ram, right? I worry about the way that they are constructed in terms of potentially teams being able to find a mismatch. Like, Javon Carter is playing a ton of minutes for this team so far, right? And Grayson Allen is playing a ton of minutes for this team. 
as much as I love Javon Carter's defense, he's an unbelievable point of attack defender. I don't want him matched up against Jason Tatum when the game's on the line. He's just a little too small and Jason's going to shoot over him, right? As hard as he works, as tough as he is, as awesome as that dude is, I don't want that matchup in a tight game at the end of it. And Grayson Allen, again, like, you know, that's a tough one. They're going to have to fa- they're gonna have to figure out a situation where, you know, maybe Grayson doesn't have to close or maybe they move Grayson because I think Grayson is actually just given that he's the guy that's on $10 million a year, the guy that could be used in a potential deal to go get someone that's a little bit more versatile defensively, that gives them more lineup flexibility than what they already have. So that's what I would like to see from them. Maybe go out and make a trade that improves their lineup flexibility that allows them to more consistently move Brooke Lopez off the court um, and play smaller with Giannis at the five, maybe make a move. I mean, like the guy that makes a lot of sense is Jake Crowder. Right. Like you can theoretically make a case that he makes a lot of sense. I worry that he might be a little bit more cooked than people think based off of last year, but not a bad idea for them. Like the same idea that saw them go out and acquire PJ Tucker uh, two years ago when they won the title. Jay Crowder could be the guy that makes some sense in that regard for them. But I would like to see them just imp- – I think that that's how they move into that top tier for me, make a move that improves their lineup flexibility and gives them real uh, defensive upside. Yeah, anything that involves not having Grayson Allen is a good idea to me. Um, you know, <laughs> like that guy is starting games for you is a bad – that's a bad sign. But you've got these other guys that make it not matter. Um, yeah. That would be – you know, I, I think Wesley Matthews likely – is going to be a more useful playoff player for them just just from his size right like size and he can shoot it enough but his size is going to help quite a bit uh more than Grayson Allen will um it's yeah I don't know I I think they've got moves to make and they've got a little bit of flexibility to make them that's that's the they're really in a nice spot I mean this is um I don't know I, I I don't I hope that they don't do anything too big but a Jay Crowder move, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break just for 15 seconds here. And then we're going to be back and we're going to talk about a couple teams in the West now because everything we've done so far has been in the East. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in. 
creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying eyes. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back now. Dave, I'll just answer. I'll ask you this question, right? I won't answer it. I'll ask you. Who do you think is the favorite in the West right now after the first third of the season? This has obviously been an incredibly tight Western Conference so far. Uh, I believe that there are something like nine teams or something within four games of first place in the West. So when you watch the Western Conference, what team do you think has the best chance to come out of the West at this point? Um, I'm just going to go with the Warriors because I expect them to figure it out. And it's not because of anything that they've done so far, although the starters have mostly been pretty good. Um, I worry about the bench, but I, I just look, man, you've got Stephen Curry. You've got Draymond Green. Clay looks better. Jordan Poole looks better. Kaminga's coming along. I, I just think, you know, and you, that's not even mentioning Wiggins and Looney who are super – I mean, Wiggins is an all-star again. So I, I lean Warriors just because I trust them. Um, but if I'm going non-Warriors, man, I think Memphis has as good a shot as anybody of coming out of the West. They've got all the pieces. They never seem to miss guys when they're out. And the guys that they're missing, it's like Desmond Bain has been out for a few weeks, and they just yep. keep on trucking. And, you know, John Morant has been crazy to start the season. Yeah. They just got Jaron back. Um, Zaire Williams, you know, like they've been missing him for most yep. of the year. It's um, Memphis to me feels like the one out of, you know, that, that other group with New Orleans and Phoenix. I just think Memphis, when it comes to playoff time, having the experience of the last couple of years, yeah. I think that they're ready to be in that Western Conference finals. And, and if you get there, you, you've got a puncher's chance of making the finals. Um, so I'm leaning Memphis right now as of today, you know. Yeah. So your your immediate response was Warriors. So let's talk Warriors first, yeah. right? And then we'll move to Memphis. Because I think those are two really, really good picks. So the Warriors for me are really interesting right now. They figured some things out. Stephen Curry is in the middle of, I don't know, like a top three Stephen Curry season ever. It's hard to say, like, this is Might the best, be best season ever. But like, yeah, like he had that incredible season. What was it? The second season he won MVP. That mm-hmm. was just like, oh my God, like how the hell is this happening right now? Um but yeah, like this season that he's having right now is in conversation with Stephen Curry's MVP seasons. 
And that is a thing that gives the Warriors an immediate chance every single time they take the court. Ultimately, the things that worry me with the Warriors are almost more regular season issues where they just don't have enough depth. This bench is an absolute nightmare. And they figured some things out with the bench over the course of the last few weeks to minimize the damage more than anything. But like, even when they were losing, there's a reason that the Curry, Clay, Draymond, um, Andrew Wiggins, Kavon Looney lineup was still among the best lineups in all of the NBA. They were like a plus 25. I don't know what the numbers are now, but through 20 to 25 games, something like, or 20 games, they were like a plus 25 when they were on the court together. So that's going to give them a real chance in playoff series when you play those guys 40 minutes a night and opposing teams have to figure out how to stop best on best lineups, right? My best against your best. The Warriors' best is going to give them a great chance every single time. The Clay Thompson obituaries that seem to be happening may have been a bit premature. Clay is up to something like 37% on 10 three-pointers a game now. The shooting has come around. The thing that worries me that I think that they could use one more of, even more than an interior defender, is a perimeter defender. Uh, Clay's perimeter defense has been. I would say substantially worse from where it was at his peak uh, and even a little bit worse than he started declining before he got hurt, by the way. Yeah. Right. He had dropped off defensively before he got the, the knee injury and the Achilles, but he has looked pretty rough. I actually would rather see him playing more of the four, you know, guarding less on the perimeter. Like I I think that that's his future is to be, you know, like more of a, Pick up, pick up a, a bigger guy who, because you know Clay has proven to be a pretty substantial post defender. Like he's stout, right? So I, I think he can guard fours pretty easily. At this point, you throw him on a. I mean, watching him when he picks up a point guard is just sad. Now he can't. Do you no, know, no, he he can't do it. And I think this is where like Gary Payton, June Gary Payton II's yeah. loss is really really felt. Because they don't really have a guy that they can go to when Clay and Jordan Poole are just getting wrecked right now. Um, I think they hope that that guy can be Dante DiVincenzo. Maybe it can be, but I would want to get another option there. Uh, I've said this a few times on the podcast. I want to get your take on it. People have talked about moving James Wiseman at this point. I think a guy that would really help uh, the Golden State Warriors is Mason Plumley. Like, I think that Mason anyone Plumlee with Mason Plumley, don't do this to me. But don't like Mason Plumley, fun Warriors by throwing Mason Plumley out. Oh, I see. Like I think he's really smart. He moves the ball at a really high level. I think he's kind of a perfect fit for their offense as much as anything. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't watch it. But um, think about how much more of an upgrade he would be than James Wiseman is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But that's like saying. I mean, you know. uh, Having a Pinto is an upgrade over having no car. Yeah, but and like, James, would you James rather, Wiseman is a car with no engine. But would you I rather move like Moses Moody and a pick for Jakob Pertle, or would you rather move James Wiseman for Mason Plumley? Like, I mean, they if need that's to the only something. move you can. If that's the only move you can make, I don't. I you got to be able to get more than that for Wiseman. Um, and honestly, like Jakob Pertle is really damn good, man. That's one of he's the amazing. Best. Pick and roll things yeah. in the league. Um, they don't run any pick and roll, and but they wanted to run pick and roll with Wiseman and Poole. Pirtle could come off the bench. You could run all that pick and roll with Poole and Pirtle, who's better than a lot better than Wiseman. 
and you you could thrive. Um, I don't know if I want to give up Moses Moody for that, but I don't want Plumlee on my team, and, and that's just me. Like I, I don't want to watch that. Um, the only thing, so don't, the only don't ruin thing, the Warriors for me with Mason Plumlee. God. I think Mason moves the ball. He's super smart. Like we can talk about the defense, we can talk about whatever, but like as long as you him now, just never shoot ever. Yeah. Just that's the rule. Mason, you can be on the Warriors, but you're never allowed to shoot ever. Even layups, you got to pass them. I don't care. Um, and you're never allowed to dribble more than three times. Bad things I, well, happen when Plumlee's dribble more than three times. That's it. I I don't disagree, but I think that there is. I think that his ability to move the ball, his ability to operate and dribble handoffs, his rim running ability, like there's a lot there that could actually really help the Warriors. So that's kind of like they'd my get like cooks on the other end though. He he would not be able to help him much. Like he's just uh, he's not no, very good in drop. You can't switch with them. And and the thing is, like that second unit, one of the, the low key things about that second unit is. They're dumb defensively. This is why they had to start yeah. putting Draymond and Wiggins out there with those guys. And, and like, it's just they're young. Young and then, you know, Jordan Poole doesn't, I'm not going to say tries hard 100% of the time, right? Um, but Kuminga's coming along fast. Yeah, that's the big guy, them, for that. And, I mean, Kuminga's I don't know if you caught along. any of that Utah game the other night, but the, it, down the stretch, that, that play where he got the block and it wound up being a flagrant two, uh, you know, with the whole Jordan Clarkson incident. Well, before that play actually started, as it was developing, Utah was running multiple screens up top trying to get Kuminga off the ball. And yeah. Kaminga navigated those screens as well as I've seen him do in his entire career yeah. to get on Jordan Clarkson. And he got he got there and he was balanced when he when he arrived. Jordan Clarkson could not catch him off guard. He stayed in front of him. People wanted to call for a foul, but Clarkson initiated the contact. Kaminga did a really good job of not pushing back against that contact, mm. but also not getting moved off, which, you know, Jordan Clarkson does that to create the space so he can get that little yeah. fadeaway. And Kaminga absorbs the contact and gets the block. And I watched that play, and he, then he still kept his cool when Jordan Clarkson kind of went a little nuts there. And I'm like, something's happened with Kaminga in the last 25 games. Like, he is something's yeah. clicked for him that just wasn't there before. And I think yep. that that sort of internal development, we were hoping to see with Wiseman, of course. Um, and we expected to see it with Kaminga just right away. But it's there now. And so I don't know if they need to feel – rushed or pressured to go out and get a guy to to come off the bench as a big but if they do please don't do mason <laughs> look i think at the end of the day they need a perimeter player that they yes. need one more perimeter defender i think to really feel good about this i think you can find those guys end of the I, day i think you can find those guys that make yeah. it work um let's go to the grizzlies now the Grizzlies are interesting because they're really coming around defensively with Jaron being back. And this is all without Desmond Bain as well, who's a pretty conscientious, physical, tough defender. I, again, I worry a little bit that there are too many ways that you can scheme them. Uh, I think that you can still scheme Ja a little bit in the playoffs, uh, just in terms of the shooting. And if you can just kind of crowd the paint, I worry that they have enough where you're genuinely worried about guys shooting outside of Bain. Um, I'm worried about Jaron shooting, but like if the option is collapse the paint so that John Morant can't take over or like let Jaron Jackson shoot, I'm okay kind of letting Jaron Jackson operate away from the basket and shooting. Um, who, who are their other guys? Like Dylan Brooks? You're going to have to play Dylan Brooks because you need the defense out there. 
I'm good with letting Dylan let it go. As much like I respect what Dylan's built in terms of his career, but like I'm good letting him go. Um, and then they have to find a fifth guy. And like, I, I mean, who, who do you feel like is their fifth guy right now? Like Zaire Williams, probably Conchar. You know, um, we're talking South playoff Alabama time. Right? Started we're a talking bunch playoff of minutes. time. Yeah, yeah. You watch? Do you watch many Grizzlies broadcasts or? Like I don't watch, watch – yeah, broadcast. look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I listen to the broadcasts at all. Yeah, yeah. I well, and I normally mute it. I normally mute it. Yeah. But the Grizzlies made a trade to bring in Danny Green just to be on their broadcast booth during the regular season. Come playoff time, <laughs> Danny Green's that fifth guy. And you know what he, that means. Look, he really might be. Like, that's the thing. Like, and if he comes back healthy – he could be really, really helpful for them. Like incredibly yeah. helpful for them. I mean, that's a guy that takes care think, of he takes care of his body. He's always ready. And I if he can go come playoff time, I'm putting my money on Memphis. I think that they have a real shot. I think they have a real, real shot because John Morant looks like he is I don't even know if he's taking like another step forward, but he looks like a first, you know, second team all NBA player, I would say. Something like that. I think that he's taking another court. step forward, man. I mean, he Do you? There, there well, there was a level of confidence last year and, and it, it I thought it manifested itself in the off the dribble three-point shooting last year. He started mm-hmm. last year just saying, "I'm I'm taking these. You're going to have to guard me on these." Yeah. And he's still doing it. And teams still are letting him shoot, uh which I think is a mistake because when he gets confident, which he's already a supremely confident player, but when he gets confidence yeah. in that three-pointer, now all of a sudden he is drawing you out, and we know that he can get to the paint anyway. Even if you're waiting for him in the paint, he can get in the paint, he can contort his body around you, and he can still get shots up. But when you have to be worried about that three ball, now you've played right into his hands. And and so I, I think that he has gotten better at pacing himself in that way. It's not full tilt all the time, but he's still trying to murder everyone that's in his way. Uh, he's gotten smarter, and his passing has improved this year. I mean, I don't know if this is something that he spent a lot of time working on. Maybe he watched a lot of film, just trying to figure out where guys like the ball. But it does seem like he's finding shooters cleaner. Not necessarily like making better reads, but he's finding them cleaner. So the the shooting thing is something that's really important. Like he's shooting 38% from three so far this season on like five attempts per game. And a lot of them come just like going around ball screens, right? I He's averaging almost four turnovers a game. And it feels like a lot of them come when he's like driving toward the rim and they crowd him and like he tries he, to kick it out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's like feeling rushed or what it is, but like, it's definitely on a lot of kickouts. So like, that's why I'm like, I don't even know if I can say like he's taken an enormous leap just because the turnover problem for me is like, I don't want to say it's like a significant problem. It's certainly not a problem that I think is going to be an issue for him long term as he continues mm-hmm. to go throughout his career. But I just worry that like, I, I don't I, I, like in terms of actual impact, the turnover issue kind of offsets the improvement in shooting for me uh, because it's been a bigger problem this year for him than what I think has kind of gone stated. And this is nitpicking John Morant, right? Like John Morant going from 3.2 to 3.9 turnovers or whatever it is so far. Like mm -hmm. that's nitpicking at the end of the day, he's averaging 28 and eight or 28, eight and five or whatever he's doing right right now. He's unbelievable. But when we're talking about, you know, a guy going from being a top, 10 player in the league to a top five player, which is ultimately what I think Memphis needs him to be. Mm-hmm. The stuff on the margins matters. 
I mean, his usage is up too. You know, yeah. no Desmond Bain for extended stretch. No Zaire Williams. No Jaron for a while. No Jaron. You know, and yep. so I, I think that his usage has gone up too. So maybe like the turnovers, it's maybe in line with previous seasons or maybe slightly above. The other thing is, you know, part of it is turnovers that are proactive turnovers are better to me than tentative turnovers, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like yeah. you're trying to do yeah. something. You're attacking the basket. You lose the ball. You're trying to thread the needle on a pass. You know, like – I, I tend to not think that, especially in a regular season, um, but now I'm putting on the scouting hat, right? Like they're not – those turnovers are more constructive than destructive as – Yes. Like yeah. for me as an analyst. And yeah. so with Ja, it's – like you said, it's going into traffic. Now I wish that sometimes he wouldn't rely on his ability to get through the traffic and he would try to find a way yeah. around the traffic. But that's stuff that – you know, like, what are you going to tell John Morant, one of the best athletes in the NBA? You know, <laughs> no, I, I sorry, just, man, you can't, you can't try and go through these trees and like because he does the shit all the time. I man. Know, like right? the other day, he's in the paint. There's four bodies around him, and he does the wrap around dribble, same hand, and and makes a layup. And it's like, well, shit. How do you coach how did that? He do that? How, well, like, how do you coach yeah. that? I can't tell you not to do something that most people can't even physically consider doing. I know. So, yeah. So I, I don't see it as a problem. And and plus, you know, he's not a selfish player. Um, so yeah. if he was a selfish player, like, frankly, Dylan Brooks turnovers bother me a lot more than John Morant turnovers. In Dylan, Dylan Brooks, Brooks shot selection shots, turnovers. <laughs> yeah. They, those bother me a lot more. John Morant could start pulling up from half court. I don't give a fuck. It's John Morant. But Dylan Brooks takes like a, you know, 16 footer and I want to just rip the rest of my hair out. Oh my God. Okay. So this next group of teams that I want to talk about are the New Orleans Pelicans, the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. I think those are the three, like the Suns are sort of up and coming. Like they're still pretty young. If you look at the ages of their team, right. Except for Chris Paul, guys like Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson. Those guys are all like 27 and under Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, basically everyone other than CJ McCollum on that team, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, et cetera. Super young. Then the Denver Nuggets, have been the team that's been, you know, seen as a potential rising force in the Western Conference for years now. And they're finally healthy. They have a full complement, hopefully, assuming Michael Porter gets back soon. Um, but that's not seen as like a long-term, you know, he'll be out for a long time, at least, injury. Of those three teams, which one is your favorite to come out of the West? Man, that's tough. And it's disrespectful to Phoenix because I just don't – I can't trust him in the playoffs. I'm going to say Denver. Jamal Murray has room for internal improvement, right? Like he's getting better as we go along. I I mentioned that, you know, that game last night was crazy. And I saw him look more confident than I've seen out of him at all this season. The step backs, the fadeaway jumper, which he just didn't – it didn't seem like he had the legs for it the first month and a half of the season. Um, I thought he, he just looked confident and strong. And, and um, the biggest thing was I mean, he hit that game winner last night. And it was just, it was a step back over Jeremy Grant. Like this was not just, it wasn't Nurk who was hanging back. It wasn't, you know, Dame. It was Jeremy Grant. This was like, 
over length yep. from deep and just off a dribble. And so yep. those sorts of moments, I think, are big for players coming back from injury. And I think Jamal is turning a corner. Um, as he does that, they are going to be better. Um, plain yeah. and simple, right? He's going to be more of a threat. I need to see him turn around on defense, though. Like the lack of effort generally from the team on the defensive end, I, I think is, is striking at times. They give a lot of effort on the offensive end. I mean, Aaron Gordon crashes the offensive glass. I think he's really good at that, finding spots there. But I just need to see more of him on defense. And, and to start, you know, Jokic is one of the, the issues this year, although I still think he's mostly been fine. It's just that he's not going to elevate your play there. And, and, you know, KCP, I think, has been pretty good. But, you know, you just need a little bit more fight from from Jamal Murray and Michael Porter when he comes back. And um, I don't know if I'm going to trust that defense in, in the playoffs, but out of those three teams, I just think that they have, you know, the, they have an opportunity for a higher ceiling if, if Jamal is back to the way he looked before he was hurt. I don't, so Jokic is shooting like 32% from three so far this year, but I don't know if people have recognized just how incredibly filthy he has been as a creator in the mid range so far. He is shooting 66%. Between three and 10 feet, that's like an outrageous number. He's shooting 50% between 10 and 16 feet. He's shooting 77% between 16 feet in the three-point line. He has become like Dirk Light, basically, this season, except with the passing. Like, this is something that I keep noting and that I think like Mavs fans get super upset about. Like, Nikola Jokic is like elevated Dirk in terms of just the passing that he also brings. He is that good of a mid-range shooter. He has the ability to step out to three the same way Dirk did. And, oh, by the way, he is also, like, one of the three best passers in the NBA. You basically yeah. have made Dirk one of the three best passers in the NBA. That's who Nikola Jokic is. I can't name a better high-post facilitator than Jokic. And now, mm-hmm. and now that that high-post jumper... It's not even a jumper, you know, that little set shot, yeah. the somber shuffle when he hits that. <laughs> um, you have to look, guard look, that. Look at the king. He's on your shirt, Yeah, man. yeah. You have to – shout out to DNVR. That's really, really good Nuggets coverage. They're fun guys too. Uh, but when you have to guard that so tight, it, now you he's opened up the passing lanes for himself. You know, this is – it's similar to what Luca did by committing to the mid-range – uh, pre in previous seasons, he got good at it, and then they had, now the defense. That's not the shot they want to give up anymore. And so dunker spot opens up, at which for Jokic that means a lot of Aaron Gordon. Um, yep. The corners open up, which Michael Porter and and KCP should be feasting on. Um, you know, I mean, the guy offensively there there are no holes in his game. There's not a yep. single hole because he also is one of two guys you can give the ball to and just say go make me a bucket without yeah. moving more than five feet. Go get, just get in the paint, <laughs> get on the block and make me a basket. Like just, ba- he's a basket weaver is what he is. Yeah. He sits in one place. He's going to make you a bucket. So the team I actually like most of these three is new Orleans. And I think new Orleans is going to be a significant problem for teams in the playoffs in a way that people haven't really recognized yet. In a similar way to how Boston is a real problem for teams in the playoffs, New Orleans just doesn't have Jason Tatum yet, right? 
Like they have Brandon Ingram, who is great. They have Zion Williamson, who is great. Zion is certainly like a top 15, top, you know, maybe top 10, given the way that things are going throughout the course of this season continuing player in the league. But Jason is a top three player. Like to me, though, when I look at the Pelicans, they have the ability to have all sorts of crazy lineup versatility. You can go super small with Alvarado and CJ McCollum, and then you can throw out Zion at the five with Brandon Ingram and one of Trey Murphy and Herb Jones. You can go super big and play like Jonas, Larry Nance, Zion if you have to. You can go one of those two with Zion in like a more normal lineup. Larry Nance is switchable as a five man, so you can switch everything if you have to. The ability to have Herb Jones and Trey Murphy, Murphy, both of whom are between six foot seven and six foot nine, and be able to play them anywhere from the two through the four gives you all sorts of lineup versatility. I think that this team is going to be able to cause matchup based issues or adjust to what other teams try to present in terms of matchup based issues at such a real level. Like this team caused the Suns a lot of problems last year in the playoffs. They now have Zion Williamson on top of that. So they are going to cause even more problems in the playoffs, I think. Like this is a real this is a real team that I think people aren't quite recognizing. Like if I'm being completely honest, I don't know if they're going to get out of the West, but I think they're the team that can cause Boston the most problems out of any other team in the West. Uh just with their lineup versatility, their ability to mix and match guys I think that they're the team that can match up best with what Boston presents other teams. Uh, and again, that's not to say they're the favorite to come out of the West. I think this is a bloodbath free for all basically, but if they could so be so lucky as to come out of the West and Boston is sitting there, they're the team that I think is most interesting in that matchup. You're not wrong that they have versatility and, yeah. and it's more of a, you know, we talked again, we talked about them on Nerder this week. Um, they could come out of the West. Totally. I, I can see yep. the path. Larry Nance is the small ball five. That's a thing. That's a real thing. Defensively, he's great coming from the help side, which is exactly the way that they, they want to play. Offensively, he the ball never gets stuck when he's out there. Him and Alvarado even have some good two man chemistry, which is very interesting. Yeah. Is that uh, that game where Alvarado hit eight of eleven threes? Dray- yeah. It was like some Draymond <laughs> Steph Curry stuff with, with him and Alvarado, and I really liked yeah. that. Um, and he, but he's a player who he is a good fit with a lot of guys because you know he's selfless, he sets screens, he moves the ball, and things. He opens up a lot for them. The Valanciunas thing may be a problem for. Um, there are teams that just he will not be able to play against, uh, yeah. obviously. But there are some non-obvious ones where he can't play. He can't play against Memphis. He just can't. No, not when anyone, not when Stephen Adams is Stephen Adams not out there, and they've been. But very even when Stephen Adams is out there, Stephen Adams. Yeah, Stephen Stephen Adams literally he obliterates that matchup, and then yeah. you know. But unfortunately, he does too good of a job because when they bench Valanciunas, the Pelicans get better. Uh, especially against Memphis. So, and I think Valanciunas has been down a little bit this year anyway, but uh, But you you know what the sneaky important thing about Jonas is though, this team doesn't have, and this is something that hopefully will change when Brandon Ingram comes back and they have CJ uh, improves a shot maker. Like I think CJ has actually been okay this year. It's Mm -hmm. just that the shooting hasn't fallen. 
Yeah. Uh, like he has a three to one assist turnover ratio. He's done a pretty good job running the show when he's been out there in like their share of the ball kind of offense. It's more that the shots just hasn't fallen and that'll happen for CJ. Um, with Brandon Ingram out, they've been very, it's been very important to have Jonas around and just throw him the ball on the block to be able to create something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And I worry that they need that more than you would like. Um, having said that, the the thing that's interesting about them is we just haven't seen Brandon Ingram and Zion play a ton together. Theoretically, it should be awesome and it should work. And it should be like, we have this incredible shot creator. We have another guy in Zion that can like just be a mismatched dynamic force. Like having two guys that can just be dynamic mismatched hunters and creators is what Boston has in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, right? But I just want to see it. You know what I mean? On paper, it works great. And I'm 100% in. It's just I want to see it before, like, I say they're the favorites coming out of the West. Yeah. I mean, I, it, all these young teams, man. I mean, like, we can talk about Cleveland the same way, right? They're um, next for me, this exactly. conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the prove it thing – and by the way, saying this about a young team, it doesn't. I don't mean it in, in the same disrespectful way. I mean uh, when I talk about the Phoenix Suns, right? Phoenix Suns need to prove it because now, okay, we've seen that in the regular season, you guys can you can produce and manufacture wins in the regular season. You're a really good regular season team, Phoenix. Show me in the playoffs, right? They should be you know playing what, around though? and and figuring things out for the playoffs. With the Pelicans, it's more. Yeah, well, this is normal. It's experience, and you're going to grow. And but I want to see it in the playoffs just to make sure it's sustainable. I, I believe in Willie Green as a coach, though. I think that they're going to be ready. I, I think they're so. getting to this. No matter where they are in the seating, and I think they're going to be probably top four. Actually, um, yeah. they're definitely getting the second round and a conference finals. If they made it there, would not be shocked. The thing with the Suns is, I think they have proven it in the playoffs. Like they made the NBA finals two years ago, right? Okay, but. They haven't proven it in the finals or in the playoffs with this iteration of Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been not great so far this year. And that is something that I think has flown under the radar. They've been really good in spite of the fact that Chris Paul has not been awesome. And in spite of the fact that DeAndre Ayton has taken a bit of a step back defensively. And they've done it in part because Devin Booker has been unbelievable and should be on everyone's like on the top five of everyone's MVP list right now, I think. But I worry about what that looks like in the playoffs. If teams can just collapse on Devin Booker constantly and Chris Paul can't present that second perimeter option in the way that they need it. Like is Chris Paul kind of trying to take it a little bit easier in the regular season, knowing that he has like one or two big playoff pushes left or is he diminished in some way? That's the big question for me about Phoenix. If he's diminished, they're fucked. Like they are, they are not deep enough to manage without Chris Paul being Chris Paul. If he isn't diminished, then they still have a real shot to come out of the West. And I think that we don't know the answer to that yet. Um, I mean, he's not shooting the ball, right? Yeah. He's not shooting the ball well. And uh, this is now like two seasons in a row. Where, where he's kind of taken a downturn, not just in attempts, but I mean, not just in percentage, but also in attempts. That's the big number. Because shooters yeah. will let you know if they can shoot or not. Players let you know if they can play or not. Chris Paul not wanting to take over games at all, that's a bad sign. 
Um, and, and you, you know, we can all do this thing that we always do. Oh, well, you know, he's saving himself for the playoffs. I don't know that. I know he's not very good right now. And, and they've looked better at times with campaign out there. And it, campaign is not half the player Chris Paul is um, under usual circumstances. But guys, guys can turn up washed from one season to the next, sometimes yeah. from one month to the next. So if you're telling me Chris Paul's done, uh, that kind of tracks, man. I mean, you look at his age, you look at the miles that he's got on him, you look at his size, and any sort of slippage, it's going to directly interfere with his effectiveness on the basketball court. Yeah. Couple that with the fact that he's shooting like 25% from three on low volume now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think he's washed. It's possible. It's possible. It like, is. It's I mean, a- Maybe it's he's a very possum. real possible thing. Yeah. Maybe like, he's playing possum, but he's also 37 years old. And right. in this reality, man, like we get old. It's unfortunate, yeah. but we do age. And, and uh, unless he's on some really good stuff that we don't know about, it shouldn't surprise anybody that a 37 year old can't hang with these, you know, 25 to 28 year old super freak athletes that are all six, seven, especially when he's five ten. So, yeah. you know, um, I hope he's not washed, man. I, I would like to see a good, a good Chris Paul run in the playoffs this year uh, before before it's all said and done. I think it's it's more fun if the if the Suns are pretty good. I want them to win a I bunch agree. of games and be good. Yeah, uh, let's yeah. go to the East again now because now we're into that second tier of the Eastern Conference. The Cleveland Cavaliers, I think, are really interesting. The Brooklyn Nets are fourteen and twelve, and they have Kevin Durant on their team. So, absolutely every chance to make a run in the playoffs in my opinion i don't really know what to do with like teams like the hawks and the heat i don't really know that we can put them in this conversation and then the philadelphia 76ers just haven't been healthy i'm and they have doc rivers as their coach so that gives me zero faith but like i mean like the other contenders in the east i feel like this is a boston milwaukee show i feel like the east is deeper than it's ever been but the Cavs are like really the one team that i look at that like if Donovan Mitchell keeps going 53, 44, 91 or whatever he's shooting right now, then yeah, great. They might have a shot. I'm, I'll slide Philly into the conversation with Cleveland. You know, I'll, I'll give them okay. that benefit of the doubt. Um, Joel Embiid is just too good for me to, you know, say that I don't know what they're going to be when it comes to playoff time. I, I do think that yeah. they're a pretty good team. Um, I just trust Cleveland more. I think when you've got the sort of defense that they have in the interior um, and their scheme has been really good, you know, they're running teams off the three-point line. Their bigs are pretty mobile. I mean, Jared Allen is ridiculous. You see the difference he makes when he's in and out of the lineup. Yeah. And then um, given what Donovan Mitchell's doing, we're overlooking just how good Darius Garland has been playing next to him. And because we have also yeah. haven't seen it a ton, you know, it's still pretty new that pairing. Um, they just they can play however you want to play, and, and the the pieces that they're missing are the pieces that every team is missing. Like I, they could use a high level wing. That's that's you know pretty obvious when you look at their team. So basically, the only thing they're missing is a high level wing. Um, yep. I think Dean Wade is nice, but when you you know if missing Dean Wade is more of an organizational problem than a basketball problem. You know, your your seventh or eighth guy missing extended time shouldn't stress you out in the way that that it feels like the Cavs 
are going to be a little taxed without him. So, but again, this is this is how team building goes. They they just haven't gotten there yet. They haven't had the opportunity. Um, I, I think Karis Levert. It's not exactly. It's not his fault. Um, but he's not able to fulfill the role that they need him to fill. Um, same with Isaac Okoro. He just can't score enough. You know, you need a guy who's going to be able to stick open shots, um, especially playing on the wing there. Chetty Osmond has been fine. Dean Wade's been fine. Um, but I, I just don't trust them enough, you know, when it comes time to, hey, you need to make this shot, but also we need you to go guard that guy on the other end. They don't have that guy. Yeah. I agree with that totally, and I think that's like their cataclysmic flaw against. If they the had Andrew class. Wiggins, man, they'd right. win the title. I think they'd have a real shot. Certainly, yeah. Andrew Wiggins is like the exact kind of guy they need—someone that can play a role, create an occasional shot in the mid-range, defend, like, and be switchable defensively. Like they, the fact that Isaac—they're going to have to play Isaac Okoro probably against Boston in a series because they just need like bodies that can mm-hmm. manage Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They don't have that right now. Like yeah. one of them would have to be Evan Mobley, but like, I don't trust Jared Allen against Jason Tatum as good as Jared Allen has been. Uh, I don't trust Jared Allen against Jalen Brown uh, as good as Jared Allen has been. And Jared Allen's been a top 10 defender in the NBA this year so far. So like, it's a problem that they don't have wings in the one specific matchup that they need to be able to, to win, to be able to get to the next level. So when I look at Cleveland, you got to go out and go get a wing. Like Jay Crowder is again, like a guy that could make sense for them just for minutes against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You need someone that can like eat up minutes against those guys. Cause otherwise like against Boston, the thing that Boston does super well defensively is they will stick Robert Williams on Isaac Coro and just say, don't guard him, clog up the paint and cause all sorts of issues for the opposing team. They absolutely are superb at not guarding guys that they don't have to guard. Some teams do it. Some teams don't. And Boston will just stick their best defender on Cleveland's worst player offensively and say, okay, and they'll live, Coro, you have the runway. Go ahead. They'll live with him taking 10 threes a game. Even if he hits five okay. out of 10 one game, they'll live with that because the, yeah. math, the math is just correct on that move. And, and that's the thing. That's why Dean Wade, again – Dean Wade is a nice player, but probably a little bit too important for them. Um, yeah, Shetty Osmond not quite up to the task. Although I think Chet, I think in a in a playoff series against Boston, Shetty might be their best option. He'd have to play. He's he gonna to he's play. gonna be guarding Jason Tatum. I, I think Dean Him Wade will be guarding Jason yeah. Tatum. Like that's and that's just a tough matchup for Cleveland. But let's go it's to Philly now. For Philly. Everybody. Nobody's guarding. Nobody's guarding Jason Tatum. Let's just throw that out there now. Ain't nobody guarding Jason Tatum. Or you're no. you're standing in front of Jason Tatum in the basket, like you're standing between those two, but you're just in the way. Like he's going around you. He's going over you. <laughs> what he's doing right now is ridiculous. Let's go to Philly. Uh, Philly has Doc Rivers as their coach, so I almost just want to eliminate them. <laughs> uh. Joel Embiid is so good. I, I Joel often Embiid think is... about what this team could look like with a creative coach, right? I know. You have wonderful guards, and I'm not even mentioning James Harden in this, okay? I'm going to keep James Harden to the side because I actually have this idea with James Harden, and it starts with what he did in Brooklyn last year. But you have Milton and Melton, the, the Milton brothers, 
No, no I, no, uh, no E. Those two guys are amazing. Tyrus Maxey's awesome. So you have like this guard play that not a lot of teams can match, and especially DeAnthony Melton with the way he defends. Yep. You've got Joel Embiid, who when he touches the ball in the post, good things happen for your team inside and out. Yep. Tobias Harris, a guy you could say, please play some bully ball for us. We need a couple buckets. We need to give the big man a break. You got yep. Paul and Reed. To play without the ball as well. Yep. Paul Reed coming off the bench, runs the floor well, does everything you ask of him. Just solid, solid team. This should be easy to figure out, man. And I look at what James Harden did in Brooklyn last year, where for the first three quarters of the game, man, he was out there making everybody better. Let me make it easy for you guys. I'm going to give you the ball. I'm going to tee it up, move a little bit off the ball. And I think he could do this stuff for three quarters and just take it easy. And then he could do the James Harden thing for the fourth quarter and just be the closer for them. You can ride Joel Embiid and let Joel facilitate out of the post, finding shooters, relocate. You know, James Harden giving up the ball and relocating, that works with Joel Embiid. We've seen it a couple of times. And then you could have Harden come in, be that closer, that fourth quarter guy, and grind the game out and just – you could you could crush that way, but you would have to obviously you got to adjust your system just a little bit for these guys. Um, but that's not what we get. That's not that's not our lot in life, Sam. We we don't have, you know, they've got they've got Doc and uh, that, that was going to be my question. Like, Doc is really really great at coaching Tobias Harris. He's amazing at it. <laughs> He's the best the Tobias that's... Harris coach ever. Best coach for your fourth best player. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so like you mentioned Joel facil- facilitating out of the post, right? Like I don't really trust him to do that. Like the turnover number has gone up again. He's up over four turnovers a game. I don't think he reads double teams all that well right now. Um I think you just need him to be a scorer on the block and I think the teams will just try and crowd him and he's so good that he can figure it out. When was the last time somebody But when was the last time someone cut Toward the basket on a Joel oh, totally. double team. That this is well, my, like, I don't disagree, but they, like systemic problems at play. Here. Again, this is our lot in life. Like I it's know, Doc Rivers. I, know, I, mean, I mean, like this is what it is. Yeah. So like, if they're gonna fire Doc, if you're gonna fire Doc midseason and hand it over to someone, I'm in. Great team, but I have zero faith that Doc Rivers is gonna figure it out over many, 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 many years now of watching Doc Rivers try to coach his way out of a paper bag in the playoffs. Like, I'm good. Uh, Are they a first round out to you? I know you love when I put you on the spot. No, 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 I love it. Um, If they were a first round out, it wouldn't shock me. I I, I can say that. Like, I I, I would not be surprised if, you know what I mean? It it, it could be a 50-50. I don't expect them to make it out of the second round for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, they'd be like the seven seed right now? I mean, they would definitely lose to Boston or Milwaukee. Um, mm-hmm. I think they would probably beat Brooklyn just because I think Joel is particularly dominant in that mm-hmm. series. Um, look, I don't know if they're a first round out just because. I mean, the matchup matters so much for them. Yeah. But, but like, that I says a lot to me, right? This should be I, I a team really, that's matchup yeah. proof to a certain degree. Like Boston and Milwaukee have been built to cause problems for Joel Embiid because they have so many bigs that they can throw at Joel and at least like just force him in some way as good as Joel is, top 10 player in the league, unbelievable player. 
to force him into harder shots. And they have a lot of bodies they can throw at him. And then on top of it, they're just better than you on the perimeter. So, like, definitely a second round out. I know that. Um, could be, a, like, real potential to be a first round out. And frankly, I hope that they are a first round out because I think that would force them to make the coaching change. Like, I hope for Philadelphia fans that if they are not going to just on their own midseason figure out that Doc Rivers is not the coach for this team, then I hope that they get knocked out because I want Philadelphia fans to be happy and I want them to realize Doc Rivers is not the coach for this group. Like, help help out Philly fans is what I'm saying. Come on, guys. We actually um, we can't talk about the Sixers on Nerder uh, for the most part now because we that's where we want to start. Doc, like it's just it's it's so abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. Like he is not the coach for this team. He is not a modern enough offensive mind to figure out how to make this work with Joel Embiid and all of these awesome perimeter players that they have. Okay, the last section here is just going to be like the if things go right teams, and this is where the Clippers and Lakers fit in. I think the Clippers have every chance to come out of the West if they are a hundred percent healthy. Do we trust that they're going to be 100% healthy? Never. No. And and I actually don't know that they have every chance. Um, I don't I don't think I, I think they're play. a flawed team. Yeah. I think they're a more flawed team than people think. And and this is just let's just say Kawhi's at 100% come playoff time. Let's say Paul George is at 100% come playoff time. I I I think Zubac is a good player. I don't like the rest of their team. Honestly, like their guard play has been subpar. Reggie Jackson has not been good to me this year. John yeah. Wall has been okay, shown some flashes, but overall, like not totally effective. Like he, he, he's a good bench player, I guess. Um, I just don't know that they've got the punch. Like they've got tons of bodies, and that was something we said coming in. But it all rests on Kawhi being Kawhi and Paul George being Paul George, and I just don't think those guys so far have shown that they're the rising tide that we expected them to be, you know, and part of that, look, I think Ty Lue is a really, really great coach, a great coach, not just a good one, a great coach, especially in game coaching, making adjustments from half to half uh, end of games. He, he really is an excellent strategist. They don't run any fucking offense. They get no easy buckets. Everything is beat your man, beat your man and make a play. Um, Dude, there's only so far you can get in the NBA doing that because the teams, the the defense is going to be a team game no matter what. It's always a team game. So you have an individual trying to break down a defense in 2022. You may get somewhere, but you're not getting everywhere. You know, John Morant can get into the paint at will. Who on the Clippers is getting into the paint? Paul George is about it. And even when he does, look at who he's having to give the ball up to. So I, I was I was having a conversation with someone that works on the team side uh, earlier this week, and I was trying. The place we came down on the Clippers was basically they don't get enough easy offense because they don't put enough pressure on the basket and don't put enough pressure on the paint. And on top of it, they don't get enough ball movement. So we were trying to figure out like what are the moves they could make to get enough ball movement and to like make it work and. My idea was like, I wonder if they could be in the mix. Like, let's say Chicago blows this thing up, right? 
Lonzo Ball is probably not going to be like a particularly attractive asset just due to the injury questions, right? Mm -hmm. Not to say he's a bad player. I think Lonzo's a really great player. But I just wonder if teams are going to have some real hesitancy on taking on that money. Is there a chance that the Clippers – look, the Clippers won't care about the money. They won't care about taking on the risk. They will just say, if we think this is the guy that really helps us, we will do it. I actually think Lonzo just, they don't have any connectors. The Clippers do not have any connective pieces. Lonzo is like an expert connector piece. And I wonder if they would be willing to take the risk to try and take on that money and give it a shot with Lonzo. Because if Lonzo's healthy, he's in some ways exactly what they need. A guy who can space the floor, an unbelievable, unselfish creator. The one thing that he doesn't do is put a ton of pressure on the basket, but I think that he helps everything else that they don't do well right now. If he was part of a, of a bigger move, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I still think they need an upgrade at the one or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Their point of attack guards are just – they're not getting it done defensively, and offensively no one's scared of them. You know, Reggie yeah. Jackson, I, again, like when he's hot, it's great. But, man, he hasn't been hot this season at all. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do there? Um, I think if you you can add Lonzo, that's great, but it doesn't solve that other initiation problem that they've got. And then let's just be honest, the health thing is a real concern for them. It is. Kawhi's it is. played seven games this year. It's a problem. Like – what are your expectations? Your best player has played seven games, can't play back-to-backs. Um, and, like, let, like, let's be clear about this, too, by the way. Has not been, like, Kawhi level. He's not Kawhi good. either. Like, the he's shooting 40% there. from the field yeah. and shooting 17% from three. Like, the burst is not there. The strength is there. Like, he can get where he wants. He's just not making shots because he yeah. can't really separate at this right. point. Yeah. Um, I, look, if he can get that back, they're like they're in the mix. But like, we need to see Kawhi at a hundred percent. I think to like really feel like they're in the mix. Are we ever going to see Kawhi at a hundred percent? That's the thing. I don't know. I really don't. He has know. a degenerative uh, condition in his in a quadricep, right? Like the quadricep tendon that still exists, I, my knowledge. Yeah, I don't know. And now, and then coming back from the knee. I mean, you know. Uh, he doesn't look like himself, which, you know, granted, we should all expect post-All-Stars when we can really start judging him physically. Yeah. yeah. But but they are shorthanded now because they don't have their best player, period. And, and, and even when he's out there, they don't have him Yeah, because you can't rely on him the same way. So they're a weird team to me. And, and you know, it's just like it's it's pretty bad luck because I think from a roster construction, it's not bad. They did. They did the stuff that you're kind of supposed to do. It's just that it's not. It's not really working out. And, and I will pin a lot of that on the coaching staff because there is no offense. And I guess you know you can only put that on the coaching staff so far because the players have to buy into an offense too. So, um, but they're well, really to me, they to don't me get anything more, easy, man. Nothing. Yeah, to me, it's more the roster building because like it's they built a theoretically modern team. Well, that's without yes. yeah, like actually understanding. Oh, free throws are very easy, right? right? And ball movement and like getting, you know, live dribble kickouts like creates more efficient shots, right? Like 
they built a modern team in terms of like being able to go big and having lineup versatility and being able to go small. But the way those players work on the court in concert with one another doesn't actually work in a modern right. atmosphere. Um, let's go to the Lakers now. Like speaking of a disaster show that looks like a mess um, a lot of the time. Anthony Davis, if Anthony Davis is going to play at this level and they have LeBron James, we have to have the conversation about the Lakers in a title contention thing because they could make a trade that accentuates Anthony Davis and accentuates LeBron James. They're nowhere near this conversation right now. Is there a move that they could make that makes you believe that they could actually get into this mix? I don't think so. I mean, even the healed and Turner move that's been out there since the summer, I just don't know. Um, number one, I, I, I don't know that Indiana should trade those guys, um, especially not Turner. Turner's young, and I don't see any reason why he wouldn't fit with your guys, unless Turner just needs to go, and, and in which case, all right, yeah, you do it. Well, um, if, if he tells you I'm not resigning, exactly, like, you, you need to sit down with him in February and say, look, Miles, we want to keep you. What is your interest in? Re-signing? It would be the first he time says, that they've ever wanted to keep him, though. See, that's the this is the problem, man. They sign this guy, and immediately his name is in every trade rumor. He's on the trade block. Yeah. Uh, they they signed Demonis Sabonis, and and everyone knew that internally they valued Sabonis more than they valued Turner because that yeah. shit was everywhere. Um, so like if he didn't want to be there. I don't blame him. So I think that's a conversation you got to have. But I like Miles with with those guards in particular, man, I, I think that that's a great matchup for them. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't know that healed and Turner. Yeah. Healed adds shooting and Turner certainly will, will help, you know, take some of the load off Davis as far as the defense goes. But I think Anthony Davis at the five and LeBron at the four is their best. Even if yeah. you add Turner, I think your best with those guys. And then, you know, I would focus on the shooting. So if you can get healed, Try to do that. If you can, you know, if there's another shooter floating around out there that you might be able to get, hell, maybe they could kick the tires on Jay Crowder, who you know he can play defense and you know he will at least get the shots up, which is half the battle. Um, I think Austin Reeves has been nice, so he's going to stay in the rotation. But, yeah, I'm not ready to put the Lakers um, a trade away, right? I think that they're they'd be multiple moves away. If they were able to utilize the Russ contract to get Buddy Heald, Eric Gordon, because the Pacers have a crazy amount of cap space, right? right? Like that they can just accept this Russ contract into. Um, if they were able to get Buddy Heald, Eric Gordon, and like someone else from some other team, make it a four-way trade where like Russ goes into the cap space and then you like finagle it somehow. Right. Um, Maybe it's like Josh Richardson or something from the Spurs, right. To go get more perimeter defense. I think that they would have a real shot. I I can't exclude them from the conversation of title contenders when they have Anthony Davis playing at this level. Like if he is going to keep playing at this level, playing at the level he's playing at though. Yeah, I mean, I just assume that LeBron can turn it on for the playoffs. Maybe that's wrong of me, but, like, it's LeBron, and I refuse to act like he's dead until he, like, has retired and his career is over. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, honestly, if we're looking back in history, that kind of is how it ought to go. This is like um, all those years of everyone picking the Spurs to miss the playoffs, and then finally we all stopped. 
We were like, right. no, no, they're just making the playoffs in perpetuity. Now, with LeBron, I, I think it's more about like you got to save his legs for the playoffs, right? Like they they need a little bit more juice for the regular season to save him for the playoffs. But I just don't know. I don't know how good they are right now. A lot of this run, and even with oh, Anthony they're bad Davis, right now. I think. Yeah, but yeah. but even with Anthony Davis putting up the numbers that he he's put up recently, like they have been playing mostly bad teams. Uh, they yeah. did have that good win against the Bucks, and I thought that they looked good doing that. Um, they don't shoot enough threes. That's a, that's one fundamental problem. But they are finding ways to get second chance opportunities, and I do believe in their defense. I just don't. I don't know. I don't think anybody is scared of this team. I don't yeah. think they should be. No, not, not as currently constructed. But if they could get Aaron Gordon, or not Aaron Gordon, excuse me, Eric Gordon and and Buddy Heald, I mean, that's two guys that are going to be in their rotation. And that means you can take out some guys who are hurting them actively, like Pat Beverly is actively hurting them. You know, Russ Dennis Schroeder is not – Dennis like, Schroeder would you do be like, Although, yeah, could you do like Pat Beverly and Pat Beverly and like a pick swap with the Rockets for yeah. Eric Gordon? Like, is that something the Rockets would consider a 28 28 pick swap? I don't a know. 28 maybe. pick swap? That's, but that's a, that's a lot of value. I agree. But and it, now that would, this is the pick swap would, yeah. So if they traded 27 and did a 28 yeah. pick swap, man, that's tricky. Yeah, I wouldn't do all. I don't know if I'd do all that. I mean, you'd have Even to though if you're getting moves, all these guys. If you're making so. these sorts, of, but if you're giving up, if you're basically saying at the end of this decade, we better be we we better be able to keep the free agency going, right? You banking on that? Like LeBron's not going to be around in 2028. I, I'm assuming, or he'll be in Vegas running the show there. I, yeah, exactly. He's not going to be playing <laughs> basketball for the LA Lakers in 2028. Yeah. So, you know, and if he was, wow, they probably pretty bad. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know, man. Like, I think ultimately you've got to think about as, as the, the people running the team, you have to say, are we willing to be awful for a few years with no hope at the end of the decade in order to maybe, Maybe they're not winning a title no matter what move they make. Period. Unless you can get Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins, you're not winning the title. Uh, but maybe you can make a conference finals run. I don't. I yeah. wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I don't know. They, they're I getting blasted by. They're going to get blasted by the Bucks or the Celtics in the finals if they make it right. So you know, if the if the thing is you make that move because you think you can win a title. If, it, if you can get to the finals, I guess it's worth it, right? Like you're giving yourself a chance, but you're going to get blasted in the finals by either. They definitely get blasted by the Celtics. I mean, they just beat yeah. the Bucs, but like I still think they probably lose that in five or six. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, okay, Dave, we're going to get out of here. Tell okay. the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on with your life. Tell the people anything you want to tell them. Telling a- anything. Like shit about my life. I'm not telling anybody about my life, man. No, no, no. You know, like uh, as far as as far as the general public is concerned, all I do is eat, sleep, drink, and breathe basketball. That's it. That's all anybody wants <laughs> to know. Um, but all of my eating, sleeping, drinking, and breathing basketball is exclusively at the Athletic. So you can find That's me true. there. The Athletic NBA show. I'm on. I don't know. I'm on every damn show at this point. So you know, Davis, go check me out. He's the best. Okay, uh, I'm not the I best. Am- I'm in the middle of writing. Draft I'm just on guide the show. Stuff. 
you're just on the show, I guess. That's it. Yeah, you host the shows a lot too. So, yeah. you know, multiple responsibilities. But uh, I'm in the middle of draft guide stuff. So, like, I don't know what I'm going to have coming uh, this week coming up. I'll have a mock draft before the end of the year, I would venture. A mock or a top 100 board. I'm not sure yet. Um, but keep it locked at The Athletic. You're going to get all of the great shows. Go subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast on YouTube, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Cini. Go subscribe uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcasting app you use. We'll be back on Sunday night, Monday morning with Adam Spinella to break down a few NBA draft things after we took last week off. Until next time, though, we will talk soon.